Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined from 3,000 miles away in sunny California by the one and only Miss Marissa Hermer. How are you? Woo! Crowd goes wild. Um, I am. I never know how to answer that question. <laughs> are you busy? Are you tired? I'm healthy. It's it's Monday morning, Monday afternoon. It feels like Thursday of next week, but um, the sun is shining. I've had a workout. I feel like I've lived 30 lives just today, so it's all good. <laughs> Are you like a morning gym person? I- I'm a morning gym person. I go to the gym um, in the mornings, yes. Me too. I don't morning gym person. I do show up, but <laughs> I don't know if that if I, I get it. Person. I'm like a never gym person, really, but you worked out, so there you go. I feel like at least you accomplished something for the day then. Totally, totally, essential. I find exercise now plays such a different role in my life than it did pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, it was like, I don't know, get in shape, just body management, really, um, and health, health and well-being management. Now it's like just like an essential part of my balancing my brain. Um, otherwise, you know, it's all a disaster. I agree with that. Like before, yeah, like, I mean, for me, it's like, it's always been like mental. I mean, like physical too, but like, I just like, I'm such a bitch if I don't go to the gym. It just I'm really. It's so important. I feel like it's so important for me to move at least once a day. What have you guys been doing? So you've been quarantining with your husband and children. How's that been? Friend of mine said, um, 
do we have to quarantine with the same family for the second time around? <laughs> Can we choose a different family? I've, we've had those magical times. Next. Um, look, it's fine. It is what it is. You know, there's not like, we're all in this together, everyone around the world. So, you know, there's no individuality or uniqueness to what my family's going through or what you're going through. <laughs> we all have our own story, but. Totally. Like I'm in New York. So like in the beginning, everyone was like, oh my God, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know, the numbers were worse in New York City, but I think from like a day to day, it didn't feel worse anywhere else because like I'm trapped in just like you are. But we're all in it. Your experience is your own experience. So look, I think generally living in California, um, you know, we have space in our garden. We have a pool. The sun is mostly shining. There are a lot of things to be thankful for. Hashtag blessed, you know? So, so, so we just keep on keeping on. It's all we can do. Seriously. Well, I mean, I, to that point, I know that you, I mean, seem to have kept a pretty positive attitude through all this. And I know that you are helping to feed the like hospital and medical workers through all of this. So my question is why, you know what I mean? It's so easy to just worry about your own family. I mean, I mean, it's very good. I don't mean why in a bad way. I mean, why in a great way? You know what? Um, I'm generally a person who needs to keep moving. Um, and, and when we were told to stay at home, um, and while we have done, you know, I, I am an essential worker. And <laughs> I don't always feel that essential. The truth is, is I'm a feeder. We feed our community. Usually it's in our dining rooms. But when the first time around, when our dining rooms at our restaurants were shut down, I still need to feed our community. That's a role that I take seriously. It's sort of my passion and profession. But it's also a role that is, is, is essential right now. There is a real need. And so... When our restaurants were closed, we, we realized we, have a, we had a, and still do, a clean kitchen. We have an incredibly talented team um, of chefs and cooks in the kitchen. I have a car that can deliver food to hospitals. And there is a real need. And there's also, I think I've always been the, I don't know, I need to make someone laugh. I need to make someone smile. I think maybe that's the publicist in me or the people pleaser in me or just sort of a general joie de vie that I have always had. And I, it makes me feel good. And so when times were very uncertain and uncomfortable, and by the way, not that they're not now, we're just getting used to it. Um, I felt that need even more to make people laugh and smile and give thanks for the work that they're doing. And so the combination of all of that really kicked off this program. And I like the slogan, you give, we cook, they eat. That's simple, but basic. I like it. Yeah, I was, um, the first, it's, it's very, it came about very organically. I was actually, um, we, we started, we didn't raise money initially. We were just doing this on our own because I've, we have contacts with the suppliers and I can get food relatively cheaply. Um, and there was a need. And so I was driving, I think 30 lunches to Cedar Cyanide, actually where I was dropping off food this morning too. Um, and I got a call, call from a girlfriend in the car and she said, Oh, what are you doing? We we're chatting. I said, oh, I'm just bringing lunch to, um, some of the, the ICU unit at Cedars. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, Oh, well, you know, we're just like cooking and bringing food to people. It just it makes me feel good. And she took a, she sent me a text then and it was a picture of the front and back of her credit card. 
And she said, put $2,500 on this for your next. You don't need to do this all. And this is amazing. And I want to help. And at first I felt a little uncomfortable taking <laughs> charging money on my friend's card because this is not a charity we've set up. This is just sort of something that we were doing. Um, and she said, look, it's not good enough just to be told to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. I want to do something that I can't, but you can, and you can do it for me. And you can do it for a lot of people. So, and actually, I think I posted a picture of that first delivery and maybe thanked her in it or sent it to her. I must have posted it. But someone else got in touch with me, someone who I didn't know actually on my Instagram and said, I would like to, um, where do I donate these meals? And I thought, Okay. So then I set up a GoFundMe and I was trying to figure out what it's called. And then it's very simple because it is, it's you give money, we cook, you give, we cook and they eat. And it's, um, it's incredible to, you know, while this wasn't, um, we didn't really think this program through, it was just something that, you know, I wanted to do. Um, the importance of a nurturing meal that's been donated takes on such a different role than just a lunch that someone gets in the cafeteria. You know, these nurses don't really have time to get food. These doctors don't have time, the medical staffers, etc. Um, they spend their own money on it after they're, and they're just completely exhausted. And, and when I see them at the drop-offs, they're so appreciative, not only of the meal, but also that people from around the world have donated funds for their lunch. So it's almost this feeling of they're being looked after, they're being thought of, and not just filling their tummy. That makes sense. Now, I mean, were you ever scared? You know, just like we're in a different world now, like you said, we've gotten used to some of this. Like in the beginning, I wouldn't even like go downstairs to see my door now. Like I wouldn't even walk in the hallway. Like were you ever scared, like just being physically out, like even if you weren't really around everybody? No, I mean, I'm not in New York City. So the congestion levels, you know, we live in the Pacific Palisades. It's very sleepy here. It's very easy to keep six feet away from anyone, 10 feet away from anyone. Um, in my kitchen, you know, I drive in or I, I always wear a mask. I actually have an N100 mask um, that I was wearing initially when I was scared and got quite a few comments of people saying you should really give this to the healthcare workers. The truth is, is we live in California. There are there are wildfires here. Um, and I am, I get really sick with the smoke. And so when the wildfires flare up once a year, um, I have this mask so I can breathe. And so I was using that mask and that gave me a certain level of comfort, but equally it's, you know what? I wasn't really scared. I'm, I'm like, the food is being loaded in the back of my car from my kitchen. I drive to the hospitals. You know, I'm not licking the doorknobs. I'm not cuddling the nurses. I'm literally opening up the back of my car, standing at a distance, and they grab everything and bring it out. So, no, it's okay. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't get scared. That's good. And your two restaurants are the Draycott and Olivetta. What are the differences between the two? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, they're in the same family, but I, I call them, um, I call the Draycott sort of my best friend and Olivetta is my best friend's bitchy, sexy sister, older sister. So if that gives you an idea, the Draycott is a very family friendly and granted while it's family friendly, it's, you know, sort of a glamorous, um, for lack of a better word, glamorous gastropub, um, or rather that's what I'm, we modeled it on from coming from London. 
Um, it's just a neighborhood gathering spot where you might have a Tuesday drink with a friend, a Friday night date, a Saturday lunch with your family, a birthday dinner, a baby shower, a wedding party. You know, it's sort of that spot that you that you are at all at all the time. Um, and that's the role that it started to play in our community, which is lovely because when we moved here, there wasn't there wasn't that local gathering spot. There wasn't a local watering hole. Um, and then after living here for a couple of years, I we saw that there wasn't that that sort of sexy place that had great, delicious food, impeccable service, um, really gorgeous interior, sort of where you could let your hair down. And and that is Olivetta. How did you so you you're from the California area, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you end up in the UK? How did all that start? I grew up in Southern California in Orange County in Newport Beach and Laguna Beach. I went to boarding school in Northern California, an all-girls school called Santa Catalina, where I was for four years. And the, the admissions, or rather the college counselor there, um, had just come from the East Coast. So he had a lot of contacts at colleges on the East Coast. And he told me about a school called Middlebury College, which I then visited. So then I attended Middlebury College in Vermont for four years. And from there, I sort of got the, like, I mean, I've always had this sort of sense of adventure. And, um, and the world is a very big place. After, after Middlebury, the world it just seemed like, I guess, growing up in Laguna Beach and Newport Beach, which is a very lovely spot to grow up. Um, once I sort of started spreading my wings a little bit, I just wanted to keep doing it. And I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to live in every different place I possibly could. And, and so I did. I went to London right after college and was planning on just traveling around Europe and instead found a job there and stayed for a couple of years. Then went back to New York for a couple of years and then, and then back across the pond to London for... Uh, 12 years. Did you like living in New York City? I love New York City. It's not yeah. for everyone, I mean. New York is, you know, I lived there at the perfect time in my life when I was, um, how old was I? I was 24. I must have been 23 or 24 for a couple of years. And, you know, I was out eight nights a week and getting home at 3 a.m. and and in my office, at my desk at 8 a.m. Like, I don't know if I, did I not get hangovers then? How did that happen? I have I no to, idea. I don't know. Um, I ate pizza every day at four o'clock on the street corner, like after lunch and before dinner. Hot dogs all the time. I was just like the life. I had the best job where I was, um, Ian Trigger was my client. And I was opening Gramercy Park Hotel and going to Marquee, which was another client every night. Just, just like living this wonderful, fabulous, fun life. Yeah. Dirty, sweaty nightclubs. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I mean, you know, I still go out seven nights a week and I'm not 24. So at least you've moved on in life. Maybe I could learn a thing or two from you. No, but... I'm going to regress very soon. I'm sure as soon as this pandemic is over, I'm going out 10 nights a week. <laughs> I will never be home again after this pandemic. I can tell you What's that. What's the opposite I'm like, that's my name all over it. Well, everyone had their money bet against me when this started because I am out like every night, you know, a lot for work too, for this podcast. And I'm just like, I understand how to stay home. I just, because I don't, doesn't mean I don't know how to do it. Like, 
So you met your husband when you moved to the UK? Met I, my husband when I moved to the UK. I sat next to him at a dinner party. Um, and, and yeah, we actually didn't meet through work at all. Although obviously my background um, in F&B PR and his background in F&B operations um, was a very symbiotic um, match, for lack of a better word. So we started working together. I actually didn't work with... I worked for an art and design. I didn't want to work with him immediately. Terrible thing to do. Um, but then once we got married, we started quickly working together because the truth is I kept telling him, I think what I thought of everything anyway. And so we thought it <laughs> just makes sense. And then you just started opening restaurants together. Yeah, Matt, um, he had three, he had a very successful nightclub called Bougie that was already open. He had opened one bumpkin restaurant. We opened a few more together um, and he had two Eclipse bars or maybe three Eclipse bars at that point. And we opened one in Barcelona and one in um, Istanbul and another uh, nightclub actually in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, quite a few. Wow. Was there any like celebrity that, you know, came in either there to your restaurants where you are now where you're just like, oh my God, that's so-and-so you know, like a J-Lo or someone like so big where you're like, how is this person here? Yeah. J-Lo comes into Olivetta. She's so wonderful. Um, I like freak out over the weird celebrities. Like, <laughs> like the biggest celebrities, you know, the A-list, quote unquote, A-list celebrities, um, by the way, are all just lovely humans. You know, they're just no normal people. The people who I've sort of freaked out about are those weird and wacky, like, I watch, watch um, like Danish crime thrillers or like a French comedy. I don't know. I watch different random television shows and it's the shows that I really invest in. And mm -hmm. the truth is I don't have that much television, but it's okay. So for example, okay, this is so embarrassing. I actually can't even believe I'm telling this story. Um, when we, <laughs> when we were opening the Rose Bar in New York about 1000 years ago, it was at the time, I can't believe I'm telling this story, my friends still make fun of me for it, um, that I think it was either X Factor or American Idol was on. I mean, it's always on, but I was watching it intently. I mean, it was, you know, 12 years ago. And do you remember? <laughs> Those are both great shows, so I mean. Do you remember Taylor Hicks? I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so Taylor Hicks came into the Rose Bar in like a light blue velvet suit and I lost my marbles. Like I completely lost my mind. Meanwhile, I think Brad Pitt was in the back corner. Like there, like it, it was like we, the biggest celebrities were there, but it was when Taylor Hicks came in that I like, I, could, I was like dribbling, I couldn't speak. It was just so overwhelming to me. So um, yeah, sometimes I do get starstruck, star but like in all the wrong places. Did you ever have like a celebrity who was just like so gracious or like a bad story where you're just like, oh, this person tipped nothing? Like, were you just so shocked? Oh, God. Well, first of all, yes, we've all had those stories. But second of all, I think the reason why I'm successful in this business is I absolutely do not kiss and tell. I mean, cannot possibly. Look, we've had every royal and every A-list celebrity into our venues over the last you know, 14 years. Absolutely. Um, I sort of, I don't know. I think when someone walks into our, our restaurant, whether it's, you know, John Smith, our neighbor, or pick, pick the biggest celebrity you know of, 
um, they're, they're a person when they walk in and no one wants to be, have be reported on while they're whining and dining with their friends. So, I mean, all of our team signs an NDA and while I don't sign an NDA, it's sort of something that's, that's one of the things I keep that's most important, which is why I think we have an incredible glitterati clientele. And look, the only reason why I say JLo came into all of that is usually, again, I don't even say who comes in except the fact that um, if someone's Pat's walking into one of our restaurants, then I feel pretty comfortable. I can use them in a conversation or mention their name, not use them in a conversation, but mention their name. But otherwise, if, you know, if we take someone in the back door and we protect their privacy, then I'm, yeah, then we don't really, they, they were never there. That makes sense. I mean, especially when people are eating. Like their living room. We've always wanted to create, um, I think it's the nicest when someone feels at home and want to in, a restaurant or a bar and no one at home is going to be, you know, writing down what you're eating or who you're kissing or what you're chatting about. So. And like you're off, it's your off hours. Like it's yeah. not like you're doing press. Sure. Totally. Exactly. If there's a party that you're hosting and they've rented out a venue, absolutely. That's a different um, kettle of fish, but. Totally. So you're minding your own business in the UK, married, amazing restaurants. Now, how is it that Ladies of London comes along and for you? Like, were you asked? Did it fall into your lap? Guys, I both. I was asked and it fell into my lap. I was asked. I, I declined several times, um, unsuccessfully, clearly. And, and then it sort of fell into my lap. I finally gave up. I mean, producers are very um, ten- <laughs> job requirements for a producer. And um, the production team that we were working with and the the heads of Bravo, who are wonderful, um, got me on the show. Didn't really let me say no, finally. And and it was wonderful. I mean, yes, there were times I was, it was awful and I was crying and the whole, you know, suddenly going from an anonymous person to a public persona is um, sort of a wacky experience. But, I mean, there are worse things. Don't, you know, don't get your violin out. There are definitely worse things. Did you, I mean, because it wasn't really, you know, a a hit in the UK. It was really here in the US, more or less. Yes, I mean, it was huge here in the US. Um, And it still is. People keep watching the show. Um, By the way, great. I mean, I think I only saw it once. So I'm like surprised when I get these messages from people saying, I'm watching it for the 10th time. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, at this point, I will give you another television show to watch. seriously i mean i interview a lot of people from reality tv and bravo so like i don't really watch things over but as far as bravo shows it is definitely one of my personal favorites and i interview people where i don't just say that it's just it's it's housewives in the uk like what more do you want it was fun it was um we had a lot of fun doing it actually and and all of those girls are so wonderful and we all keep in touch still so it's nice actually did you know any of them like before it started? I did. Juliet and I were good friends. Um, Noelle and I knew each other. Um, were old friends. Juliet and I hang, hung out like every day. Um, and Noelle and I were very old friends. And I knew of Caroline because actually my, Matt sat next to her at Sophie's wedding to, um, oh my God. I, I can't remember either. 
Anyway. People will come down harder on me for not knowing. Trust what me. Is that? I know, but he's a friend of mine. Alex. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Oh my, I, I didn't sleep last night, and I've, like, I'm quarantine brain. My brain is mush. Um, so I knew Caroline. I didn't know her well. We had a lot of mutual friends. Sophie, Sophie Stanbury was a dear old friend of mine. Um, lots of, like, wild nights with her at Bougie. Oh, God, those were the days. Um, Julie Montague, I didn't know. Annabelle, I didn't know. Adela, I knew her best friend. Yeah, so, look two degrees of separation from all the girls, if I didn't you know them. in the same. Yeah. And, like, when you were going to do the show originally, like, did you know what it was, or was it more, like, the Americans and the Brits interacting? Because that's I what mean, I... Yeah, they pitched it to us that it was not going to be, like, a normal Housewives show, because that sort of cattiness and drama wasn't appealing to me, but more like a sociological... Um, not an experiment per se, but like just a look at how different cultures connect and they clash. And I thought that was quite interesting, certainly being an American in London. So I thought, you know, why not? By the way, I didn't think why not. I was like convinced to do it. But the truth is, is um, at the end of the day, I was given the advice, look, if it's something, if it's a total disaster, Marissa, then it's something crazy you did. And if it's a runaway success, then who knows what can happen. And I sort of, that's like, that's sort of the, I usually subscribe to that school of thought, like usually say yes. I usually say yes to things. And, and if it's a disaster, then I'll have a good story to tell. And like, you could think it could definitely be good for the restaurants. I mean, well, I was quite concerned about that actually, because the restaurants were quite successful without me putting him on television. Um, and so while I understand the, the impact of television as a marketing platform, there's also some things that, um, you know, I'm not on the, in the edit room. I'm not a producer. I, you know, so I don't know how things are portrayed. And so that was a concern of mine, but generally I'm pretty level headed and, um, and I think most of the time on the show I was, and so I was able to just be that. And yeah, the restaurant, by the way, it was great for the restaurants. Yeah. I feel you got into less drama. Like, I don't really think you got into much drama. I mean, I definitely did get my fair share of drama. Let's, um, I definitely did, but, um, maybe I was dragged into it and equally, I, yeah, I don't, I am not really a dramatic person in my real life. And, and we say real life, like, well, is the show real life a bit? Yes, a bit now. Um, but it's hard to be on a reality television show with how many different women, five, six, seven, who knows, um, without getting involved in drama. I mean, you're going to get sucked in. And I did. Yes. Could you tell like in the beginning, like as you were filming it, you know, like it still was this sociological experiment, but then it was kind of like more, like, could you tell it was almost morphing into something different? Like, hey, this is some drama here, or? Wait, I have another question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo celebrities to bring you new creative content every day. That causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. 
So I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who is a professional that fits your needs into things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues, anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much, it has caused me some issues and BetterHelp really is a lifesaver. Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvetrope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvetrope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. Yes, but it's done in the, I mean, the way the drama is created is in such a, this is my own take and everyone, all the other girls, I'm sure have a different experience. I felt like it actually was very organic. So my emotions, my tears that were on screen, the fights, the shouting matches that I got into were all very real to me. The, the context that I was put in was not organic. So like, I wouldn't, and my, and my girlfriends, who I would then get in fights with, would also not normally act in that way because that's not, you know, they didn't have a producer talking in the air being like, did you hear what Marissa said? Did I, which, <laughs> what? Did I? You know, it's just not the normal way I have a relationship. Um, so I can't even remember the question, but did I hear? Yes, I saw certain things were happening, but, but it was also, again, it was happening to me. And so like your experience in New York and the pandemic, I'm like, is it, okay, I'm on a reality show, but that was my reality. Like I was still living that. So (laughs) it was real life. Right. That, that makes sense. So like when it came out the first season, like, what did you think? Were you like, all right, this is just what I remember. Or you're like, oh my God, what the hell? Well, two things. Number one, I could barely watch it because I hate actually, in fact, I will do my best to listen to this podcast, but I hate seeing myself on screen and the sound of my own voice. I don't know what it is. Do you hate the sound of your voice? I despise the sound of my own voice. Not yours is not terrible, but like, it's just that, oh God, turn it off. Like, I don't need to hear myself talk. Um, But also I think that the way they edit it and cut it is always a surprise, was always a surprise to me. So while I was, you know, looking through my fingers, looking like, oh my God, Marissa, like, what are you wearing? Why are you talking like that? Like all these weird things, like seeing yourself on screen for the first time. But equally, the way the storylines would be edited wasn't always how in my head it happened. You know, it might've made for better television, Um, but certainly there would be things that would be cut out to add to the drama that if they were let in, which is how I remember, 
would be less impactful. That makes sense. Like, were you, because uh, I mean, you lived in the UK, like, were you a reality TV fan? You know, because like Bravo is a little different over there. Like, did you watch reality TV? I don't actually really watch that much television, full stop. So I didn't know. I mean, before, um, when they asked me to be on the show, I watched a couple Housewives. I can't even remember which ones, like, episodes. And I, and I spoke to some of the girls. I think I spoke to, um, God, I speak to. I can't remember anyone's. I, I, my brain's not working anymore, but I spoke to a couple of the girls um, across different shows and I think they gave me sound advice. Well, who knows what they gave me. I ended up doing it. Um, but yeah, I'm not a huge TV watcher. So this was all sort of new to me. You're probably better off not being a huge TV watcher. <laughs> it sucks you in TV. Like once you start watching, you're just like hooked. <laughs> There you go, behind the velvet rope. <laughs> behind, right, the next thing you know, you have a podcast and all you do is talk about reality TV. And yeah. I think reality TV is more addicting than non-reality TV. Yeah, because it's people's lives. It's people's lives. Like, did you ever not want to do it? Like season two, season three, like, did you ever think of like, or were you just like, no, this is good? No, I didn't think about not doing it because... It wasn't the end of the world. I mean, by the way, while we're filming, it is super full on. I mean, I'm, you're filming, you know, five days a week. And I also had a job and I was, I felt like I was usually pregnant at the time or just having a baby. I mean, it's just like a very, you know, you're not in charge of your own calendar. I don't know when I'm going out to dinner to see friends because I might be filming. It's just, you know, it's a, um, you're on set, but your set is in your closet and your bathroom and your bedroom and your living room. So it's pretty full on. And so, um, after we would finish four months of the, that, of course, I said, I'm absolutely never doing this again. But then things would calm down. We would do the press. It would come out. You'd have a little bit of a breather. You'd go on holiday and you're like, okay, I'm ready for the next one. Hit me. Put me in coach. Were you shocked? Like when you came to the U.S. to do press, like, you know, because again, it was a bigger hit over here. Like, oh my God. Like, and like you said, like when you're not in the public eye and then you are, like, was that? The first time I came to New York when the show was on. It was like, a, I was the Beatles. Okay. I absolutely wasn't like I was the Beatles, but I remember I was in, um, I was walking into Rockefeller center cause I had meetings at NBC and truly those throngs of people would come up to me and ask to take my photo. And I was like, are you mad? Like, Oh my God, I guess people are watching this show over here because it's true. It wasn't even on in the UK until later. So it's actually quite nice not being, um, it didn't affect my daily life at all living in the UK, you know? Whereas I would come to America for summer holidays and yeah, it was like, I'd get the best table at the restaurant. No problem. Great. So that was fine. No complaints. It was almost like the best of both worlds. Yeah, it was nice. It's that level of anonymity. anonymity uh, what is wrong with me today? Um, privacy is quite nice. <laughs> is like fandom the same there? Like, you know what I mean? Like I've been in the UK, obviously I've traveled all around. I agree. Like I think the world's a big place, but like, is it the same level of fandom? Like, once it got to be popular there? It's different because the truth is, is in London, I already knew a lot of people in London. Like, I had my life there. My friends weren't that impressed that I was on a television show. And I hung out with the same people. And it, and there weren't really fans the places. Yes, every time I walked into Bumpkin or Eclipse, there would be a fan there who would, you know, pass out with excitement. But 
great. But other places I went to, by the way, I'm not the biggest celebrity in London. Like there are a lot of other bigger celebrities who would frequent the places that I went to. And as a result, it was great. Fine. You know, like, do you want to talk to Madonna or do you want to talk to Marissa? You know, like, fine. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, whereas in America, it was a much bigger place. And I think reality television is such a part of American culture that, that, yeah, like, like I said, like when I, you know, um, you know, had a heart attack when I saw Taylor Hicks, I think people invest in these television shows and they become a part of my life, my family's life. They know what my bedroom looks like, you know, my bathroom looks like. And they, when they see me in the flesh and usually it's a surprise, there's lots of excitement. Or like when people walk up and they address your husband by name, like, where's Matt? And you're like, oh my yeah, and they like know my kids, and it's just a bit very bizarre. Marissa, how are you feeling? I'm like, what? Oh I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> how are you? You're like, this is really weird. What it's about really like? Sometimes it's pretty weird. What about like during season three? Like you know where you have like a difficult pregnancy on the show? Like how was that? I mean that must have been difficult. I mean, um, it. I mean the the pregnancy was difficult. Um, for obvious reasons. Um, and the delivery was difficult. Filming it not difficult and it's it's a bit bizarre to try and explain except the fact that because it was such a um scary time it actually helps i was it it helped that it was on camera and not that it was on camera but that there was something else going on to focus on right to get me out of the headspace of what was actually going on so even like going my doctor's appointments or going into the delivery room um you know the producers who i'd worked with for over three seasons were there with us. I didn't feel like I was alone. And I also had this ridiculous fantasy that because everything ends up happy in TV land, um, clearly I don't watch enough television because that doesn't always happen. But in my end, in my head, there's always a happy ending. I sort of thought there's going to be a happy ending here. Like I don't, it just, that was in the back of my head the whole time, even though that played no role in it whatsoever, but it just gave me a weird level of comfort, but it, it also just took me out of the moment. Yeah. I was going to say like, have you ever watched all the housewives? Like it's not always a happy ending. Again, I don't watch really a lot of television. So I'm thinking of like, when like, Bam, like not Bambi doesn't have a mom dies, like different things, you know, the princess meets her prince like that. Those are the, I don't watch a lot of television. You're just like, it's all going to work out. What about, like, what was the hardest part of, like, the whole experience? Filming. Really? Just the actual filming? I think, um, I think time management, um, was a lot because we started the show and I had a young... I think I was pregnant when we first started having the conversation or Max was just born. But by the end of the third season, I had given birth to our third daughter. And as a result, like I was always pregnant. I, like, I had really young kids and, and I was working. And then also adding a TV show on top of that, that's a pretty full plate. Plus I, you know, that's not all I do. Like I have, I'm fairly social and a friend. I mean, just like, it was a lot to add on. So I think the time management was quite a lot. Um, but also I think the friendships that it was hard when my friendships were put under a microscope and equally that 
they were thrust into drama. You know, it was like, it was hard, the breakdown of friendships. Um, there were the real breakdown of friendships. And that was sort of hard to, that was to swallow. That makes sense. Like, who are you closest to now today? I mean, I talked to all the girls. I talked to Juliet, Sophie, Julie Montague, Adela, um, Caroline Stanbury, Caroline Fleming. And we, we all talk. And the truth is, though, is I'm in Los Angeles. So whenever the girls come out to L.A., they come see me. But I'm not talking to them. You know, we ping each other every once in a while. But I'm not seeing the girls that much because I'm on the other side of the world. That makes Maybe sense. Friends. <laughs> What about when you were in New York to do press, you were at Watch What Happens with Sheena Shea. How was that? Sheena, she's adorable. She's, she's adorable. We love her. I love her. I've had her on the show. Love. So nice. Uh, best. Yes. Like really yeah. nice. What about Andy? Like how was your experience working with Andy? Just like as a... Great. Oh, the house, uh, Ladies in London was not his show. So I didn't, we didn't really work with him. You know, I, I obviously knew him on his, um, on his show right? life, but I didn't, he wasn't editing our show. He was not one of our producers. So I didn't have much connect contact with him. How come you guys moved back to LA, the LA area? We moved back to Los Angeles because, um, again, my pregnancy with Sadie was quite traumatic, um, physically, obviously, but also emotionally. And, my husband actually said a month before I delivered, if you make it through the surgery and your, our daughter does, then we're going to California. He just needed a break. It was like, I think to be told that your partner might not make it is quite a lot, you know, to, um, to digest. And he just needed a mental break. And we were planning on coming here for a short sabbatical. And I mean, we still own our host, home in London. We, at the time, owned our businesses. So it was sort of just a time to come to California, stick our toes in the sand and, and take our foot off the pedal a little bit. Um, anyway, three and a half years later, we're still here. So <laughs> do you love it there? It's great. You know, it's, um, there's something to be said for blue skies and, you know, we live in the Palisades, Pacific Palisades, which is sandwiched between the hiking trails and the beach. And as a, I grew up on the beach in Laguna, and so it feels very nourishing for me to be back here, actually. Do you have this? I love the city. I mean, I love any city. I love London. I think it's the best city in the world. So usually I like to whiz back a few times a year at least. But um, yeah, my old card, I think, is expiring post-pandemic. So I'm going to have to call British Airways. <laughs> what about like being in the restaurant business, like either in the UK or here? Like, Do you know Lisa Vanderpump? I don't know, Lisa. I've never met her. We have a restaurant um, around the corner from Sir is around the corner from Olivetta, our West Hollywood restaurant. Uh -huh. um, but no, I've never met her. I just didn't know, like, through, do you know any of the housewives of Beverly Hills? I do. I do. I love Kyle. I love Teddy. Um, I've met Lisa a couple times. Teddy's a wonderful. Kyle's great fun. So, yeah, those girls I love. Would you ever go on the Beverly Hills Housewives if they came knocking? Do you know what? I never say never, but um, as a general rule, that's how I 
like to live, but equally, I feel like I've done that. I don't know if I need to do that again. I don't think I need to do that again. I love those girls. I love to see Kyle for dinner and Teddy for a walk. And I think I'll call it, call it at that. Just asking because you live right there. I mean, you know, you're the right, like. I know. It's such fun. They have such a fun time. Um, yeah, I'm thinking it, I'm, there's other TV conversations in the mix right now that I'm a little bit more excited about rather than sort of a, um, a group show again with drama. And I don't know if I need to subject myself to that again. I was going to say, the, I don't know if you watch, but the Beverly Hills, they have more drama than Ladies of London did. Really? Do you know what? I need to watch it. I haven't seen it. Um, it's good. I, yeah, I need to. Well, that's and, exciting. You have TV projects in the works. Yeah. I, do you know what? It's, um, I, I, I totally, as I said, fell into Ladies of London. Um, but now I, I, like the, I like the medium. I love the platform of television as a storyteller. And there's lots of stories to be told. So, yeah, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Would you ever, I mean, you live in where you live, but just, you know, to go back for a month or two to film, would you ever go back to do a season four of Ladies of London? Oh, like, um, by the way, I'd happily go to London for the summer to film a show. Delightful. Yeah, and I love all those girls too. You know, we had such a nice rhythm. I think maybe that's why it would be hard to join another cast. You know, I really know all of those girls like sisters. You know, we went to the moon together and back. So, um, yeah, I think that would be fun to do it for a month or two. I'm all for it. <laughs> I mean, that's just me. I think the fans would love it. I mean, do you find it strange like now, you know, like if it re-airs, like you said, like people are still like, do people, well, like do people recognize you? Like when you're now like going and, you know, you're feeding, does it, do you still get recognized? Yeah. There's still super fans out there for sure. I think when it was, when it's on the air, like whenever there's a marathon going on or when it was on the air, um, it was my people really, it was top of mind. Um, but now it's like the super fans just get excited. Or like, you know, if someone's maybe visiting your area and they're like, let's go to Olivetta tonight. Like we went to yep. Sur last night. The Draycott and Olivetta for sure. Or like, we'll see her, we'll say hi. That happens. And by the way, I love it. Great. Like, thank you for coming in and spending the evening with me and having a cocktail. Like, I, I love that. That warms my heart. It's not weird at all. Are you, are you there? I mean, before COVID, like, do you actually, are you there like most nights? Yeah. I mean, they're my favorite restaurants in LA. <laughs> so yeah, I'm there a lot. That's amazing. I understand that it was a long time ago and you actually have a real life now. No, I'm trying to remember. I'm like, God, I can't remember all the bits and pieces. But um, yeah, all good. How have I done so far? You've remembered a lot. Listen, everyone thinks that I know everything. They think like I'm a historian. But the thing is like, because I watch all these shows on Bravo, like I'm not so great. I mean, I remember overall things. Right. But I have friends that could be like, oh no, that was like season two. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Yes. Yeah. I, they're like, this is my favorite. What about that episode? And I was like, I can't even remember what happened there. And I lived it. I'm like, like, I can't remember what I did like three weeks ago. Like literally it's, what do you think? Like the rest, like is the restaurant industry? Like I know like Lisa's Villa Blanca just closed. Like, I mean, is the restaurant industry like worried? Like do people worry? Like, are you worried just because of COVID? 
pandemic, we can't open our doors. <laughs> it's not great for business. Um, yes, I think, yes, this, the, the hospitality landscape and industry is going to change drastically. A lot of people are going to go out of business. That's yeah. terrible. I mean, it's am I worried about it? Worried is probably not the right word. I don't worry that much because I also like, what's the point? It's going to happen or not. It's more like, you know, brace, <laughs> brace. It's coming. The wave is coming. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. And just like, who knows what's. We don't know what's going to happen and we can plan and prepare. I mean, we are as restaurateurs, we are masters in the art of planning and preparation. That's what we do every night. Um, and this is definitely something that's thrown us all for, I mean, no one would have expected this in any industry or any person around the world, but it's definitely a, um, it turns our industry on its head. It's very difficult to make a profit and it takes the joy out of it. Yeah. You know, it feels a little normal now, but like the atmosphere is certainly in a way there are restaurants that I wouldn't necessarily want to go to in the summer just because, you know, they're small and they're dark and where like you want to be outside. So like restaurants that didn't have outside seating now do like you can actually like they almost took like part of the street. It's almost like I don't know how like the permits like say you were a restaurant that didn't have an outside permit. Now you do. I so, know. I mean, I've been out, so it's like, it's nice, and you're going to places like, the other night I was at a place, and I'm like, this is not my favorite place inside. I mean, the food is great, but not in, like, 90-degree weather, because it's dark and romantic. Fresco, and it was dreamy, no? The whole atmosphere, like, the tablecloths, I'm like, well, this is a, it's this place called Lizzie. It's, like, it's in Chelsea, where I live. I live in Chelsea. It's small. It's Italian. But, like, the whole outside thing is a whole new vibe now, so it's... So fun. It's like, so New York, I mean, I feel like it's, in a way it feels normal when like you're just sitting and drinking and yeah. eating or drinking. Yeah. Drinking helps. Drinking helps a lot. <laughs> it really helps. Well, I realized through this whole COVID, I realized a couple of things. One of them is that I realized I am not an alcoholic, which I wasn't a hundred percent sure before because, because I live alone. Like I really, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with drinking alone. Like I'm, it just, I realize it's not for me. So like, I've really drank so little throughout all this. Cause like, it's just, I realize I'm just a social person. And when I'm out, yeah. I want to drink. Well now get out there. You've got some catching up to do. And when I'm home, I'm like, whatever. So what's next for you guys? What is next for us? We are ugh, we're sort of in a holding pattern right now. I mean, the truth is we were opening and, and we still have plans to open four more Draycots, at least four. Wow. But we um, signed a site in Studio City, which we have still signed, um, in the new Sportsman's Lodge. We are looking at a site in Manhattan Beach, Pasadena, Woodland Hills, and Newport Beach, um, which is exciting. That rollout plan was quite aggressive, but equally manageable. Pre-COVID, then March happened, and we've put pause on those because the truth is, is we don't know what the world is going to look like. And we just, there's no need to like, you know, we need to keep a little our powder dry a little bit and just wait and see. You know, no one's getting a prize for crossing the finish line first of opening a restaurant. <laughs> right no. after COVID. Um, and I'd like to take Olivetta to a couple other um, locations and regions as well. I'd love to do an Olivetta in Vegas. I'd love to do an Olivetta in Miami. And we were having those conversations, which are now put on hold, but I think people generally are social creatures. 
And I also don't think this time will last forever. And so, you know, I'm letting those conversations sort of percolate right now because there are deals to be done. And um, I think there are opportunities, you know, and if right now, what am I? Mother-in-law said, she said, if opportunity doesn't knock, build the door, like find the door. So that's sort of what I'm doing right now. I'm definitely hustling um, to see what the opportunities are. And then other than that, we're going to just keep feeding our community as we can. So hopefully in our terrace and outdoor dining at the Draycott and curbside pickup, which is important, I think, for our our neighborhood of the Palisades in Santa Monica and Brentwood to offer this beautiful space, alfresco dining that makes people feel alive again and a sense of normal, normalcy in a safe environment. But equally, um, continue our give back program because again, feeding people is what we do and now there's a real need. And so um, we're continuing to raise funds and we're so appreciative of our contributors so that we are feeding, you know, I was at Cedar Cyanide this morning. I'll go to the Santa Monica Fire Department's afternoon, um, you know, feeding our heroes and our frontline workers and our first responders is so, it's sort of in our DNA and um, that we've been able to take this opportunity where we're super grateful for it sort of keeps us going. Well, I see your pictures on Instagram. Like you really are the one doing it. Like if anyone thinks that it's, you have some group of people doing it and you're doing it. (laughs) I'm definitely doing it. It gives me joy. By the way, I can get in my car. And I mean, today I took the kids, I took the boys. um, And I either go by myself or I bring a friend or a friend meets me there or she loads up her car, you know, so it's, it's a reason to keep moving. And I think now when we've all been stunted, um, those opportunities to keep moving whatever they are, if it's a jog or if it's to get in your car to go somewhere or deliver food, like I'm taking those opportunities. I love it. Is there anything else you want to say, like to wrap up, like anything we haven't covered? Everyone needs to eat at the Draycott. (laughs) Everyone needs to eat at the Draycott. Come. Actually, Michael is our head chef at Olivetta has taken over um, as our group head chef for Olivetta and the Draycott. And Mel Mazina, who is, was the beverage director at the Draycott has taken over for the group as well. And the combination of his food and her cocktails are, it's like, it's Nirvana. So it's incredible. It will definitely be the highlight of your quarantine week year. (laughs) When I come out there that I will, will, I'll look you up. I'll definitely be eating hopefully at both of them. Please. <laughs> and where can everyone find you online? You can find me online at, at Marissa Hermer on my Instagram. And our, our GoFundMe is actually just the link in our bio, my bio. It's a great cause. Like, seriously, I want to say thank you. I mean, you know, again, like I started with the question why, but it really is true. I mean, like, you don't need to do this. So like, I mean, there's so many people that really aren't doing that much, which is fine. But like, thank you for doing this. Pleasure. Feels so good. everyone needs to follow Marissa Hermer on Instagram. Check out Ladies of London on your back catalog. And eat at the Draycott. And let's keep in touch. You've been wonderful. I really appreciate you doing this. Happy to see you. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, 
subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.